0: Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, everybody. Will Brinson. It's a Wednesday. We have two guests today. Very excited about that. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Follow the podcast at Pick 6 Pod. You can follow me at Will Brinson. We are going to dive in quickly today as well because we have to get to stuff and things. Joining us later in the show will be Larry Holder of the New, York, New Orleans Times Picky to talk about the Saints and break down their offseason. Joining us right now via Skype, via video from his lovely home in Oakland, California, Sean Wagner McGuff at Sean J. Wagner on Twitter. Did I do that right?
1: You did. I don't know if I want people to know my Twitter handle though after what went online.
0: Good, se- today. Good segue because you are on here to discuss your top 25 players under the age of 25. We should note that the caveats here are you have to be under 25. You can't be 25. I like the list and I like the construct, Sean. I have to ask you, where the f*** is Sean Watson? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, if you read the article, Will, I actually, I address it and it's pretty much the only player, um, that I actually address why I'm leaving him off the list. And it comes down to small sample size. And he played in seven games last year. And I think it's not like he was great for seven games. I think he was great for four or five of those games. And I know this, you mentioned this on Twitter, but yes, I do throw a little Josh McCown comparison in there because (laughs) in 2013, Josh McCown played maybe the best stretch of football out of any quarterback we saw in that season. And as a Bears fan, I remember articles being written that Josh McCown should actually be the guy the Bears signed to be the long-term quarterback. They should keep Jay Cutler on the bench. And so I guess I'm just a little bit wary of guys who perform well for less than half a season. And I think we should cool it a bit on Deshaun. I'm not saying Deshaun won't be good. Um, I just need to see a little bit more. And it's the same reason why I left a guy like Ruben Foster off the list. He was incredible, um, when he was on the field, but he played 10 games. What can you, what do you know about after 10 games?
0: Uh, not a ton. And look, you also, I guess Jimmy Garoppolo is not under the age of 25, but it would have been curious to see what you would have done with him because he's—I mean, he only had five starts with the 49ers. He can come out and have a bad year next year. And Deshaun Watson doesn't have to be good next year either, coming off an ACL. I just think that if I'm picking between Jordan Howard and Deshaun Watson, I'm going to take Deshaun Watson, especially considering that Jordan Howard, who is Bears running back, and I credit you for not putting Mitchell Trubisky on this list either. <laughs> smart, smart play by you. But Jordan Howard is a running back that the Bears were trying to trade this off season. I mean. If if Ryan Pace has Mitchell Trubisky, and if if he called, if if the Texans called him, we're like, hey man, would you be interested in trading um, the Jordan? Would, would you want to? Tra- we'll give you Deshaun Watson for Jordan Howard. Ryan Pace would be like, yeah, that sounds great. And I'll just flip Deshaun Watson for two first. Later.
1: Okay, Jordan Howard is a flawed football player. There's no doubt about that. He can't catch the ball. That that hurts. And up until the last minute, I actually had Reuben Foster on the list. Um, and then I decided I can't put Ruben Foster on the list after he played 10 games if I'm not putting Deshaun Watson because he only played in seven games. Like, what's the three-game difference there? Yeah. And I didn't want to put Jordan Howard because I know I'm a Bears fan, and I know I like Jordan Howard, and I did not want to have people saying, oh, it's just a homer sneaking a Bears player onto a list where there are no, are no other Bears players. But you look at one simple set. He's third in rushing yards since he entered the league. The only two players who have more are Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott. He's averaging the same yards per carry that LaShawn McCoy is averaging in that time span. And he's doing that despite playing on a John Fox offense without a quarterback. And I think you look at what what Jordan Howard is being asked to do. I think he is really damn good at doing that. He has flaws. But if you're just grading a player for what he's supposed to do, be a hard-nosed in-between-the-tackles runner, create a lot of um, something out of nothing because defenses are consistently stacked in the box, I think Jordan Howard is really good. He's flawed. There's no doubt about it. That's why he's at 25 and not, um, as high as a lot of other running backs who are stacked in the top 10. But I think, I don't think it's an insult to say at what Jordan Howard is asked to do, he's really good at. It's kind of like, um, Devin Hester and like, yes, his role was really small and he only had to do one thing. But if you're good at that one thing you're asked to do, I think you should get credit for it.
0: He is good at running between the tackles and and not catching the ball. I mean, he's not as. <laughs> and then look, they they got to Cohen to supplement him. I mean, I, I like. I, I don't mean to crap on Jordan Howard because I think he's a good player. And I, I guess if you're, and to be clear, like the only quarterback in this, I, I guess let me ask you this, and this is more into the the weeds of sort of the post itself. So I don't want to get bogged down in it, but is the construct, the idea like these are the guys who perform the best at the age that they're currently at under the age of 25, or is it because it's not a, here's how I would draft the guys who are under 25, right?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. And I think it's kind of a hard um, question to answer. Um, It's probably a combination of factors, especially how I looked at it. A lot of it is based on, um, for example, if a player had a great 2015 or 2016 season, but then a bad 2017 season, exactly. I probably docked them a lot. A lot of it is right now, but I definitely did feature a lot of you know potential into it. Like a guy like Carl Lawson, um, who didn't get that much playing time with the Bengals, um, but still had a really good year. The reason he's 22 and he's that high is because I think that if he is able to given a larger workload, um, he's going to be a lot better. And the same for um, a guy like Miles Garrett. Um, you know, some people were getting on me for putting him above Unique and Gogway. Um, I just think Miles Garrett. Um, you give him Denzel Ward. You give him a better secondary. Um, I think he, his his sack total is going to climb a bit just because of the players around him getting better. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. And again, not to get in the weeds of the process, I just want to say two things. One. Creating a list like this is really hard, and, yeah. you know, you start, you go through every roster, you sort by age, and you probably jot down somewhere around 60 names that you think could be on this list. And then the process of whittling it down is really difficult because a lot of what you're saying, how do you rate a good defensive end against a good quarterback? You know, which one is actually better? Um So I think one way I also looked at it is how good these players were relative to their peers at the position. Mm. Um, So that's why I left the guy like – and this is a good segue into James Winston and Marcus Mariota. (laughs) I left them off the list because I think they're not as good as compared to some of their peers as guys like um, Mike Evans is or Kareem Hunt is or, um, you know – Todd Gurley is. Um, so that's one reason why I left those guys off
0: the list. I sort of wonder if – and this is not an indictment of, of, the, of your hashtag process, but I, I do <laughs> wonder if there is some inherent bias towards a, a, a positions that are easier to transition to in the NFL. Like, like it's easier to say – Alvin Kamara is the third best player in the league because he's an explosive pass catching monster who dominated the NFL last year and I'm not, again I'm not dogging the list like you have Kamara at 3 and Kamara is if I, just to if I were making the list I would have Joey Bosa 1 Okay. I have
1: mean, them at two.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not. I mean, it's a nitpicking. Uh, I would have Joey Bosa one and Jalen Ramsey two, and then I think Marshawn Lattimore three, and then then I would have those running backs with Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Zeke Elliott in some kind of order there in a big chunk together. So th- th- that to me is the positional value difference. But you're like, if you're doing it based on how they perform against each other, then yeah, I mean, it's a totally understandable setup. I wonder what. Uh, Do you feel, this is skewing in a different direction, but do you feel shame that Chase Stewart, a smart football human being, has been, like, lampooning you on Twitter for your Jameis Winston beliefs? You know,
1: I, I don't. (laughs) A little, but no. A a little bit. You know, you know, there's a difference when someone you, you know, respect in the NFL community is disagreeing with you and as opposed to someone's like, why isn't my favorite player on this list? Um, but I think what was nice about him actually you know, actually having a coherent argument and not just yelling is that it d- did make me rethink a bit and yeah. do a little bit, I think, revising. Um, and I think I definitely should not have written the thing about top 25. Um, yeah, that was about, tough. about James Winston not being a top 25 quarterback, maybe. And I think, so, I mean, I woke up and I got all these Twitter notifications. I was like, Oh boy, what happened. And I was reading it and I actually got out pen and paper and I actually, you know, tried to make a list of quarterbacks. And what I realized is I probably should have written top 15, maybe top 20. Yeah. Um, So I think in hindsight, I probably would have changed that. The problem with these lists is, you know, you're writing 3,000 words and you're focusing on the list aspect and you write one line um, and then people settle on that one line and that's what people get mad about. Um, I still stand by my belief that I would not put James Winston on this list, though.
0: I mean, I think relative to, but I was really surprised that Chase that Ch- and Chase Stewart writes at footballperspective.com, dot com at Football Perspective on Twitter. I mean, like, he's a good follow. I think he's smart. I was surprised at how impressed he was with Jameis Winston's twenty seventeen.
1: Like Jameis, I was, I agree, and I've been, I've probably been a more vocal Jameis critic than most people. Um, and my problem with him is that he's gonna always have these great stretches where he looks like he could be a top five quarterback, but I think he's gonna. In between that, he's always had these bouts where he looks horrible. And Chase Stewart made the point where he's only 24 or however old he is, um 23 maybe and he's gonna get better and my point is I've looked at him for three full seasons yeah. and he's always made these same mistakes and maybe it's just Jay Cutler PTSD I have but these are mistakes that I saw you know a guy like Jay Cutler making throughout his career and everyone's like oh all he has to do is fix his accuracy fix his decision making and then he'll make the leap to an elite quarterback and those are the same flaws I see with Jameis Winston and, and I'm more inclined to say this is what Jameis Winston is and there's nothing wrong with that He's a good, not great quarterback. He's gonna have a long career playing this way. Um, I just don't know if the flaws that he acts he has are correctable flaws.
0: I don't know if you listen you probably haven't because it's like noon your time as we're recording this, but I don't know if you listened to Pete talking about Jameis Winston on yesterday's podcast. He he had some good points. Like Jameis, I think it's something like he had sixty passing attempts while ahead but you know, in last year, which is A really low number. His defense was terrible. I agree with you though. Jameis was, came into Florida State as a, an aggressive minded baseball, former baseball player who threw, um, who, who not, I don't want to say made mistakes. He, he lacked a conscience. I think it was the phrase that Mike Mayock used uh, when describing him in the draft process. And I think that's an accurate description because Jameis will throw into tight windows where he has no business throwing in situations where he has no business throwing in the same way that, uh, I don't want, I mean, John, be, bad quarterback, I don't want to say Johnny Manziel, but like, <laughs> one of the things that people ripped up, people were like question about Baker Mayfield is, is, if he's Johnny Manziel, is he going to try and make magic happen every single play? Jameis tries to make things happen and Jameis doesn't know how to how to James, to make a golf analogy. Jamie doesn't know how to punch out and take his medicine. You know, like he has to. He wants to make magic happen on every single play, and at the a lot of times it results in incredible things happening, and a lot of times it results in him making mistakes. And so that's the thing I think I primarily worry about with James is if he can't curb that, then he will never be a, an elite quarterback in the modern NFL. He might have been a great quarterback in like 1975, but I don't know if he could be a great one in. in in the modern NFL, I do think that Chase has a good point, though, that if he's 24 and he's going to be 25, I mean, he has three or four years here to really change as a quarterback in the same way that maybe Matthew Stafford did.
1: Yeah, I agree. Except I saw I was actually trying to look at quarterbacks who um improved substantially after their third year. And I went to look at Stafford because I was wondering when that ascent happened. And it actually happened in his third year. I don't know. I'm probably splitting hairs between third year and fourth year. Right. Um I guess I'm just at the point where I'm actually a little bit worried about Jameis because I feel like everyone for the last few years has been, okay, you know, he's made these dumb mistakes that he does on a weekly basis. At some point, it's going to click, right? And he's going to mature as a quarterback, and he's going to stop making these mistakes. And it's never happened. He's always been the same quarterback to me. And I think he improved slightly this past season. He was in a bad situation. Um, I'm just worried about the exact mistakes that he's making. I just feel like that's who he is as a quarterback, and that's never going to change. And again, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think you can be a good quarterback in the league for a while. But I guess... My problem isn't that I don't think quarterbacks can improve when they're young. I think the the mistakes and the flaws that he has are flaws that I don't see as totally correctable. Um, And one last point about Prisco and the Seahawks. And um, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I saw you tweet it. And I was like, oh, I had this realization hit me. It was like, oh, my God, am I – to Prisco, to Russell Wilson, like, am I that with James Winston? Am I like the only guy who's like, he's good but not great, and am I gonna die on that hill like Prisco has died on the Russell Wilson is good not great hill? And now I just had this fear like hit me with Chase yelling about it at me, and, and, see, and I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm Prisco with James Winston.
0: I mean, I hate to bring it to you, but you are. I mean, like James, <laughs> I know. James, I just realized. If that. James turns into, like, I don't know if he'll ever turn into Peyton Manning. I mean, if James turns into an All Pro quarter, if if we come out of 2018 and James Winston is the best quarterback in the NFC South, Sean Wagner is. You're going to end up in some sort of old takes exposed. Oh, yeah. um ESPN segment, like like it, like it, it'll be a situation where you are personally humiliated, but that's fine. You got you got a podcast appearance out of it, and we have to go because um, we, I have twenty five minutes with Larry Holder. Uh and I can't you know the rules, I can't go over forty minutes or else my or our boss will yell at me. Uh any last take before we get out of here?
1: Um I put Tog early number one. I'm happy about that. Um I think that's it. I <laughs> can't really think of it. I don't I mean, we covered it. The it's only good, controversial stuff was the quarterbacks. Yep. Um as always as always, and I just want to make sure people know that Carson Wentz is 25 years old, and that is why he is not on the list.
0: Good point. It's a good list. Go check it out on cbsports.com top 25 under 25, and follow him at Sean J. Wagner. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Riveting stuff from Sean there. Seriously, give him a follow at Sean J. Wagner on Twitter. Go read his top 25 and make sure to harass him about the things you don't like about that list on Twitter. Blow up his mentions. He'll, he'll get very annoyed by it. It'll be very funny. Okay. Let's keep the train moving. Next up, Larry Holder of the New York, New Orleans Times, Picayune, one of the best country, one of the country's best papers, one of the best writers on the Saints, one of the best writers in general, good friend of mine. You can follow him at Larry Holder. You can also check out his radio show, Dunk. And Holder, the Duncan Holder show down there in Louisiana. Highly recommended and that you read his stuff at the Times Picayune as well. Let's go to it. Larry Holder. All right, Larry, what's up, man? Hope, uh, hope you're doing well. I know, buddy. It's been a long
2: time and, uh, I'm glad you can jump on my radio show, New Orleans. And we do the home and home series, and i 'm jumping on the podcast, so it 's just like old good time cBS fun like we used to have way back when
0: that's right, although I mean we hung out in uh, orlando not not too long ago and got to watch uh, some of the the post owners meetings party bar stuff unfold. that was fun we don 't have to get into the specifics of that i I, I will tell you that uh, and I think you would agree that that Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis. Okay, I think Mickey Loomis is there, right? But they, they, were, the Saints contingent were strutting around as if they were in a much better spot than they had been a few, a few years past. Because frankly, they were good, and also because uh, you know, I just talked to Sean Wagner McGuff, my colleague at CBS Sports, and he had ranked a top twenty-five under twenty-five. So you got to be actually twenty-four or younger to qualify. But the Saints had two of the top five in uh, Alvin Kamara and Marshawn Lattimore. Do you you think that they were three and four respectively is that high enough i think that's
2: giving quite enough praise to those (laughs) two guys considering they've only been in the league for one year but it just kind of shows you the turnaround that the saints have done and just not not only just on the field but even in the scouting department because uh they've had some bad moves in drafts and in free agency for the last few years and it's really put them behind Hence why, going into last season, they had ridden three seven and nine seasons, and there was all kinds of question marks, specifically from people like me, wondering how much longer, say, Sean Payton and Drew Brees would be rolling with this thing. And when you bring in Kamara and you bring in Marshawn Lattimore, instant hits, and no way in in any shape or form do you feel like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon. It's been a major reason for the turnaround in New Orleans, and a major reason why Uh, there's lots of expectations going forward Uh, and look, these guys are going to be around for uh, through the duration of their rookie contracts and they're cheap. So I think that helps uh, when you're the saints and you want to try to add pieces specifically given that Drew Brees is 39. And if they get to the playoffs this year, he'll be playing as a 40 year old quarterback in the NFL.
0: Yeah. And Look, he's been very good despite his age. You know, he sort of, I mean, I don't want to say, the, the, the thing, the only guys that were ranked above them were Joey Bosa of the Chargers at two and then Todd Gurley of the Rams at three. Gurley is 23 years old. Bosa is 22. I, if it's my list, I'm putting, and then the guy who's behind Lattimore at number five, Jalen Ramsey. I'm a little surprised by that. I would probably, I would probably take, uh, Ramsey. I, I think I'd put Bosa one, Ramsey two. I just think the running back position is maybe a little more overvalued, uh, in, in this, in this situation by Sean. But yeah, you know, look, I mean, Kamara was, Kamara was incredible and it's fascinating too how to look back on a draft where I think a lot of people sort of questioned whether or not the Saints were doing the right thing because not only did they miss on Patrick Mahomes and Ruben Foster in the first round and got criticized for it, but they also traded up for a running back when they already had Mark Ingram. Now, in hindsight, all those, the way that things played out is incredible. Uh, Do you think that that's, I mean is it is it a case of it's better to be lucky than good or did the did the saints really have uh, you know a strong evaluation going into that draft?
2: Obviously I think they had a strong evaluation going into that draft. And oh by the way, not only did the Saints have Mark Ingram, they had signed Adrian Peterson earlier That's that right. week yeah. leading up to the NFL draft, which makes it, you wonder Wow, what the, what were they thinking of Adrian Peterson? Now they didn't know what they would absolutely get with Alvin Kamara, but they certainly really liked him. And uh, they made a pretty bold trade to do that. And now you look at Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, and they're one of the best ones who punches in the NFL. And oh, by the way, Mark Ingram's going to be suspended. So Alan Kamara is going to be first and foremost for the first four weeks of the season. And so look, I, you look at that pick, you look at the pick of Marshawn Lattimore and the only reason why they didn't go for Mahomes was because they liked Lattimore. And mm-hmm. if Lattimore wouldn't have been there, then all hell would have broken loose. They would have taken Patrick Mahomes and, then where would the Saints be? Uh, it would be controversy central. Then also you look at how they really lucked out, did not get Reuben Foster. He went one yep. pick before them, even though the Saints were talking to him, and the 49ers called up and said, hey, we're taking you. They ended up with Ryan Ramchick, and he's uh, easily one of the bigger surprise rookies in the NFL, and he's going to be a starter for the Saints, for, so much so that Zach Shreve, who's still a very good player, retired, knowing that the starting job was going to be Ryan Ramchek. So you look at that, uh, even though Marcus Williams is known for the bungle in Minnesota, he had still a had a very year. good yeah. season. And so, look, they, they have plenty of uh, good draft picks there. And, look, you, you can look squarely at Jeff Ireland, who's been with the Saints for the last couple of years. Yeah. He helped orchestrate that 2006 draft where it ended up with Michael Thomas. And he certainly orchestrated the evaluation process in this draft and got him a boatload of young talent.
0: All right. Well, let me ask you then about this this upcoming draft or this, me, the upcoming draft. I, don't know, I can't even think today, Larry. This past draft that already happened in which the Saints traded up in the first round, everybody and their mother thought they were moving up to grab uh, Lamar Jackson as the, the heir apparent for Drew Brees. And instead, they move up to get a pass rusher. Uh, first of all, did you like the trade? Second of all, do you think that the Saints are... Justifiably one piece away to make that move for a pass rusher. And then do you think at any point this comes back to bite Sean Payton that he traded, that he traded a future first, um, in the same way that it bit him when he did it for Mark Ingram?
2: Well, Will, you've known me long enough to where I'm, I'm very, uh, uh I'm a very mellow guy. I never <laughs> like to tout myself. Of course, that's a complete lie. <laughs> I do like to tout myself when I'm right. And, uh, I put on Twitter, around two thirty central that afternoon leading up to the first round that the saints wanted to target Marcus Marcus Davenport and they wanted to move up around green Bay to make it happen. Wow! I and that. that's exactly what they did. Now I, I called it a theory. And of course that is a very educated theory. I'll of just, course. Uh, I'll have to tell you off the podcast how I actually came about this news, which is hilarious in and of itself. So, Sorry, podcast listeners. You're not going to get the total. You just will. But as far as uh, Marcus Davenport, I do feel like that people, draft pundits, assumed Marcus Davenport would be a mid-first-round pick. So uh, anyone who's saying, oh, he's this raw guy, well, everyone assumed he would be taken around there. So that's why the Saints moved up and took him. Was there an immediate need for a pass rusher? Absolutely. And they did not feel like, Anyone outside of Davenport would be worthy of them, say, at 27. It didn't sound like they were too too enthused with Harold Landry. Of course, he has the injury issue history. But, uh, look, they moved up, and they had to trade that first-round pick in next year's draft to do so because they didn't have a two. They used that two to move back into the third round last year to take Alvin Kamara. No one's questioning that move. Now, of course, there's certainly – a reason to scratch your head and say, "Man, okay, maybe they paid too much, Marcus Davenport." I like the fact that they got aggressive and went and drafted a guy who could address an immediate need. And is he going to be that guy right away? I'm curious to see. Look, I'll, I'll just put some perspective on this. The last time they drafted an edge guy in the first round was 2011. And it was Cam Jordan, mm. and at that point, 2011, his rookie season, he had exactly zero sacks in the regular season, and the Saints went 13 and three, and one of the best were one of the best teams in the NFL. So uh, that was a historic offense. But Cam Jordan was still very good overall defensive end. Can Marcus Davenport be that right away? I don't know. I don't think he say is an every down defensive end right now, but. It does address an immediate need. And if he can pan out to be a 6-7 sack guy opposite Cam Jordan, I do think it is worth the immediate go and could be that one player away factor. Now, they added some other pieces throughout the offseason because they had some other needs, and they did that. Uh, not, they, they looked at bigger name free agents. Look, they looked at Indomitian Sioux. They looked at Muhammad Wilkerson. So they wanted to beep up that defensive front. They decided not to spend the money or take the risk on those guys. But me personally, I think it was well worth the risk. And if the saints are very good this year, that first round pick is going to be in the late twenties. And ultimately, look, if, if they win the Super Bowl, it's thirty-two. So I think it's well worth the risk.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I I, I believe that uh Sean Payton was on. Um, Pardon my take, and uh, and then he um, and he was like, look, it's if it falls in between seventeen and twenty-five, or maybe it's even fifteen and twenty-seven. He's like, then we think it's totally worth it, and. Um, I, I, it almost feels like a guy who says, I believe we're making it back to the playoffs. Our team is that good. What's the floor for the Saints team in 2018? Like, I mean, because the ceiling is definitely the Super Bowl. I mean, they could have won the Super Bowl last year. How? What's the worst-case scenario for the New Orleans Saints in 2018?
2: Oh, wow. Well, the worst-case scenario would be they stumble with a first-place schedule and their division is still difficult, and they go – middle of the road, and then you're wondering, all right, is Drew Brees going to be back next year? And does Sean Payton try to move on again like he has done behind the scenes the two previous off-seasons leading up to 2017? Wow. So that's that's probably the worst-case scenario. And then you're stuck with no quarterback of the future, and you're wondering if the head coach whose contract runs through 2020 – uh, is he looking to go elsewhere? Are the Saints ready to make a move? And this is under new ownership technically because Gail Benson is making the end-all be-all call after uh, the passing of her husband Tom Benson this off-season. So uh, is that the worst-case scenario? Yes. Do I feel like, though, that the Saints are certainly talented enough uh, to stay and stand pat and live up to these expectations I do. I think they're better this going into this season uh, than they left last season. So that would only point to me that uh, I think they're the favorite in the NFC South and are certainly NFC contenders to make a run to get to the Super Bowl.
0: Man, that is a dark timeline, Larry. If that happens, um, things things went very south for uh, for Saints fans. I don't think it will happen either. You know what's going to be the play for? This team with Mark, with Mark Ingram suspended for the first four games, how are they going to approach using Alvin Kamara and using Boston Scott, I think is their, uh, their six-round rookie, lovely name. How do you think they'll approach this from an offensive standpoint?
2: Sean Payton said it, and even before he mentioned it at rookie minicamp this past weekend, uh, I, I I was saying that I don't think it would be smart to say – give Alvin Kamara 25 carries. I think that would limit his diversity within the offense. And then Sean Payton making me look like a genius uh, when I spoke on the radio about this (laughs) a couple of days before said the exact same thing. And that was not uh, an educated theory. That was just me trying to think, well, they love Kamara. They love to use him in all these spots. Uh, And you look at Kamara's history. In the NFL, the most carries he's received in a game is 12. In college, the most carries he's ever received at Tennessee is 18, and that did not happen very often. And so you want to use him in diverse ways. Now, they went into the draft figuring they needed uh, a running back, knowing, now that we know, knowing that Mark Ingram was on the verge of being suspended, but they needed a number three running back anyway. Right. And they drafted him as a running back first, at least that's what Peyton said this past weekend and because they were fortunate last year, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara were healthy the vast majority of the season. Kamara sustained a concussion, but he didn't Mitch much time at all. And so, uh look, they ran with two running backs with no real answer at number three after they traded Adrian Peterson who tallied not even a hundred yards rushing while he was with the Saints. So I feel like they needed it back anyway, but, yeah, it sounds like they're going to go with and look at some of the unproven guys that they've got on their roster now. Do they decide maybe down the line to add a veteran running back toward the end of training camp? Maybe. Of course, the idea is floated out there about Adrian Peterson, and, of course, Come Sean Payton on. is gushing over Adrian Peterson. Like, I think that would be a mistake. I thought it was a mistake when they signed him originally, and uh, I don't think Adrian Peterson – maybe at this point he needs a job and would say all right i'll come in and be a four week rental but like that's uh yeah I, I don't think that's the scenario the saints hope they have to go in they hope one of the guys that they have in a house could fill the job that mark ingram did for four weeks
0: yeah and i mean the thing with peterson too is that i think this people sort of sleep on this but the saints last year They weren't great on. I mean, they were fine on offense for the weeks three and four, I think. But the first two weeks of the season, when they started out zero and two, and it looked it looked like their offense was a little discombobulated. They were trying to force the run. They weren't. It wasn't working because they had to try and feed Adrian Peterson and get him involved, and it just didn't. It didn't look like the type of offense they wanted to run. Now it might be a different case where they bring in Peterson for four games to to fill the void while Ingram's off the field. But it became so obvious. I mean, the Saints were basically telling people what they were doing on offense when Adrian Peterson was on the field. They were going to run the ball and then when he was off the field, they were going to try and pass the ball and it became pretty apparent to, to at least the Vikings and the and the Patriots pretty quickly, uh, the two teams that, that beat them. is the are, are the Saints the best team in the NFC South?
2: I'd say yes, but when the Atlanta Falcons are the number three team in the NFC South yeah, and they're yeah. going to be playing a third place schedule, that's uh, that's tough. And I'm I'm wondering how much the Falcons did in the off season to help themselves. Uh, look, probably drafting Calvin Ridley to go with Julio Jones, making all Bama wide receiver core. <laughs> that's probably going to help them. Uh, look, Carolina, I'm, I'm not sure how how much better they got. I know they added C.J. Anderson to go with uh, with Christian McCaffrey, but I just feel like the Saints have improved more than they were leaving 2017. So, if I'm looking at it that way, I'm thinking the Saints are the best team in the NFC South. Now, could it be one game here or there could make a difference? There's no doubt. Uh, look, I, I think that uh, that those three teams, uh, it could go one, two, three e- in any order there is, and what if somehow Tampa figures it out and, and gets rolling? But, yeah, look, I think, and you've Follow this division for a long, long time, given where, where you live. And so it's certainly uh, always a topsy-turvy league. One team can emerge all of a sudden uh, out of nowhere and, and make a run, uh, like the Saints did last year. I, after 0-2, I had no idea that they would win eight straight games, so much so I bet my hair on the lawn and I lost.
0: I, <laughs> I forgot about head. that.
2: Exactly. I had to shave my head, and it was uh, it became uh, – Fodder, I probably on CBSSports.com for all I know, my chrome dome and probably an old picture of me back in rapid report days. And oh, look at young Larry, and now he's bald again. So it's, uh, but yeah, look, I do think that they're the best team in the NFC South, uh, but it's to me still. Uh, one of, if not the most highly competitive divisions in all of football.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was without a doubt the most, the best division in football. I, I think the Buccaneers are a little bit underrated. It's possible the, the Panthers might even be the team that, that, that ends up cratering. And the thing, the only thing when I was going through the Saints roster and trying to, um, look at, you know, predict what, what's their fatal flaw and then looking at the over under for their win total, the only thing that really stood out to me is, it maybe the defense doesn't live up to expectations. Like, the offensive line, I mean, barring injury, the offensive line is going to be good. The run game is going to be good. The pass game is going to be good. So I'm not worried about the offense. It's just how you know, Breeze and Peyton, they're going to be fine. My bigger concern is that the, I mean, is there any chance the defense doesn't live up to the expectations it's set in 2017?
2: Yeah, I think that is the concern. Well, defense is always going to be a concern yeah. with the Saints because you can also look back. That when the Saints, uh, I'll go back to the bounty year, Twenty won the
0: Super Bowl. I mean, uh, then all of a sudden it went off a cliff.
2: Right, yeah. They um, And even that year, that defense was more opportunistic than good. Yeah. They were 25th in the NFL, uh, but they were one of the best in creating takeaways in 2009. But then you get to 2012, Greg Williams is gone, Steve Spagnuolo comes in, and they, fall, they really fall off a cliff and were the worst defense yardage-wise in NFL history. And then there was the aberration year. Rob Ryan comes back, and they're a top-five defense in 2013. Then in 14 and 15, with Rob Ryan at the helm, uh, they fall back into the abyss, and they have to make another move. And it's taken a bunch of years to get back. And as far as yardage-wise, total defense, they were middle of the pack. But uh, they were definitely better. All you need is a middle-of-the-pack defense for the Saints and the offense can kind of take care of itself. And so when you've got at least a shutdown corner with Marshawn Lattimore, I feel like you can have a good pass rush with this team. Uh, The pieces are there, but there's always that lingering, all right, are they just this aberration year like 2013, or did they fall back in old uh, stereotypes and just be this sieve on defense where they're having to try to win shootouts every week?
0: Yeah, I mean, I tend to, I tend to want to believe in them and I think the Saints have sort of turned a corner on defense with their personnel and the Davenport addition is, is obviously big, but there's there's just a lingering like level of doubt there for some reason uh, with with me and I and I'm not sure I'm not even really sure why it exists. Uh, the Saints have the highest win total projected by Vegas in the NFC South. Nine and a half wins. If you were a betting man, Larry, and and you were putting your hair on the line again this year, would you go over or under?
2: Oh no, do I have to do that again? You don't actually have to put your, you don't, like
0: a, you don't have to bet your hair, but you, you, you have to pick over or under.
2: Ooh, I'll go over, but I would say 10 just mm. because I do think the schedule is tough and the easiest stretch of the schedule is probably those first four games. No doubt. And yeah, it, it's so, and I do, I, do I think that they can overcome the Mark Ingram uh, suspension and at least go three and one? In that span, yes, and so like the it's it's a weird schedule. The first two games are at home, the last two games are at home. They play back to back Thursday games. One's on Thanksgiving. Both are, you know, it, it's it's kind of a crazy schedule. Uh And they're playing a first place schedule, so I think that's a, that's going to be a challenge as well. But I do think that say nine and a half, I would go ten wins. so obviously that's why Vegas makes the money they make because it's it's they uh, they they're, a lot of times they're they're spot on with their over unders
0: yeah no they They're like, Vegas, Vegas knows what they're doing. I think the things that stand out to me on the schedule, and you're right, like the first five, so they have a week six bye, the first five games they get the Buccaneers and Browns at home. I mean, you need to be two and oh after that stretch at Falcons, at Giants. I think you're looking at three and one, Redskins at home. Um, you know, so you're four and one going into the bye, maybe five and oh, feeling good about things. I mean, you could be three and two if something really slips wrong or the Giants are much better than we think, but God, coming out of that bye, Larry, it's like, at Ravens, at Vikings, Rams at home, at Bengals, and then you, you know, you're, so you're three or four on the road, you take a breath, and then you get, Eagles at home, Falcons at home on 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 Thanksgiving. At Cowboys, at Buccaneers, at Panthers, and then you close with the Steelers and the Panthers at home. I mean that that's a that's a tough post by stretch. I, I do think the one thing that could be a a saving grace here is it's possible that for their last five games, I think it's possible. No, I don't think it's likely, but just possible that the Cowboys, Buccaneers, and Panthers could all be bad. So like for their last five games, could be against teams that that aren't as good as maybe we think they are going into the season.
2: Yeah, it's as we've seen, look, you don't know how teams who win the division first place schedules, uh, how they translate the following year. All you got to do is look at last year. You had three third place teams and a fourth place team uh, from 2016 win divisions, uh, win the NFC title and go on and win the Super Bowl. A fourth place team a year before were the Eagles. So you you never know how this thing kind of bounces. But you mentioned the stretch and it's, they play four playoff teams, uh, from last year in a five game stretch and they play three division winners in a four game stretch. And that's, that is a daunting task. And it's, it's something that it's, Saints aren't going to be the only ones who deal with some of these crazy scheduling anomalies, uh, within the NFL, but that's a lot to ask and you got to make sure. Uh, that you're a healthy team and that you get off to a fast start knowing that the pitfalls are ahead of you after that bye week. And it's, it's going to be something to where uh, if the Saints can get rolling, maybe they can roll through some of those games. But if they have a couple of hiccups early, it, it could be win one, lose one, lose two. You never know. And so it's, uh, it, that's the challenge and that's the parody of the NFL. They like to, uh, they like to. Keep make things interesting and they could certainly be that way for the saints
0: all right but you like it larry likes the all over on the saints i'm with you i think the the saints have a a feel i think i'm worried the saints are gonna be a little too popular to pick them when it comes to a super bowl champion but certainly uh a, a team i think a team that people are gonna be all over uh all right you can follow larry on twitter at larry holder you can listen to the Dunk and Holder Radio Show. Uh, we'll tweet out the link to that as well. And, of course, read him at the New Orleans Times Picayune. Great work there. Larry, thanks as always, buddy.
2: I Will. Take care, bud.